We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You could also check out his podcast, the 24-7 College Football Podcast. How does this week's basketball scandal ultimately affect Bobby Petrino at Louisville? I think that, uh, number one, there's some changes in his contract because uh, there were stipulations and phrases in his contract pertaining to his buyout as to whether or not Tom Jurich, who, of course, he had a relationship with from his first stint in Louisville and then uh, decided to come back to Louisville with Tom Jurich uh, on effectively out as the athletic director. It definitely changes uh, a lot of the contractual dynamics. It changes some of the political dynamics and uh, Bobby Petrino, you know, I think that this is where you look at the, the job he's done at for the football program now and you know he gets to stay he gets to stand on his own right based on what he's done in this second tenure not if you consider the whole body of work but what he's done in the second tenure uh is enough to be considered a successful uh run for the Louisville Cardinals so i think it changes a lot of the dynamics it certainly becomes interesting uh, as other jobs might become open in the coaching carousel but uh ultimately i think that Bobby Petrino as a coach uh, is able to remain focused on the 2017 football season. You take a look at what North Carolina State did to Florida State last week. Did the Wolfpack expose something in the Seminoles, or was it just the case of a team that hadn't played in three weeks coming back with a new quarterback? I think that there were aspects to that game uh, that certainly have caused a lot of concern within the Florida State fan base. And seeing how Florida State responds now will be very telling especially as we begin to look forward uh, at the the Jimbo Fisher tenure. And the Jimbo Fisher tenure has been one where uh, his loyalty to a lot of his assistants has been uh, a big part of creating a strong tie, creating strong uh, ties on the recruiting trail, good relationship builder. Um, But there were some who looked at the NC State-Florida State game and saw an athletically superior Florida State defense that looked a step slow uh, and a little bit out of whack. You know, they were having some communication issues. And when you have talent on that level, and this, you know, had nothing to do with DeAndre Francois' injury. This might have been a little bit to do with Russ. But, again, seeing how Florida State, a team that is athletically superior and has more talent than most of the teams it plays, Seeing how they perform is going to be very, very interesting to watch uh, as it pertains to that coaching staff moving forward because uh, I think NC State out-executed a team that they were not better than. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com as we take a closer look inside the ACC. Uh, NC State last week, uh, you know, they really stepped into the spotlight with that win, introducing a number of players. Bradley Chubb may have made the headlines, but there were a lot of others to go around. Sure. I mean, Jalen Samuels is a phenomenal skill position player who uh, in some games this season has gotten 10 or 11 targets in a game. He's a big part. Uh, they, you know, they hit him with the shovel pass. They'll throw to him on the perimeter and they'll try and move the ball down the field vertically. Uh, he's one of the most talented all-purpose threats in the entire ACC. Ryan Finley obviously has done a, a good job of uh, you know, he's, his relationship with NC State coordinator Eli Drinkwitz actually goes back to when both of them were at Boise State. And so he's just got total control and comfort with this offense right now. 
And I think that as you're looking at NC State moving forward, a team that gets uh, Louisville at home on a Thursday night, that gets the Clemson Tigers at home in a sandwich spot for the Tigers, where I think it's uh, maybe either right before or right after the Florida State game. Um, you know, NC State might have uh, dropped off everyone's radar when they lost to South Carolina in the opener, but they will be a factor in the ACC Atlantic title race one way or another. I don't know if they're going to win it, but they are going to be a tough out, and they've already got that head-to-head win against Florida State. Clemson had a tough time with Boston College. Just a hangover from the emotional win over Louisville? It's, uh, you know, that was a sandwich spot, too, because, you know, that staff and that team knows that Virginia, you've got the road game coming up at Virginia Tech. Um, it's Boston College is a tough team to play. The, the fact that it, I, I'm more encouraged by the fact that while they were they had their hands full for about a half, almost three quarters, the fact that they were able to pull away at the end, and that's where I go back to uh, one of my familiar refrains, that the most important thing for this Clemson team is establishing the run game because the run game is how they win games. And to see Travis Etienne, uh, the four-star player coming out of Louisiana, really start to look like a college-ready back as he joins Tavian Feaster, Fuller, Choice, uh, that, is a, that is a backfield loaded with talent. And when they're able to execute and get one of them hot, uh, that's going to be the way that they win games. Tonight, the big one in Blacksburg, Virginia Tech and Clemson. Can Virginia Tech give Josh Jackson enough protection to pull off the upset? I think so. Uh, I think it goes back to last year, and it'll be with the game plan. Justin Fuente... He's, he throws a lot at you. He's got a lot of motions. He uses a bunch of different running backs. He moves them around. Obviously, you want he always wants to try and allow Cam Phillips uh, to make a big play down the field. But I think that Justin Fuente and that offensive staff can scheme the Clemson defensive line out of this game. And you know what I mean by that is, of course, uh, playing to the perimeter, not putting Josh Jackson, you know, some, some rollouts for Josh Jackson, get him moving, move the pocket. Just don't let Jackson sit back there and don't ask your Virginia Tech offensive line uh, to maintain that Clemson pass rush for, you know, longer than just uh, a second or a second and a half. So I think that when you go back to that game, you saw that one of the reasons that Virginia Tech, again, last year in the ACC championship, that's, that was an equally dominant and impressive Clemson defensive line right there. And one of the reasons why Virginia Tech was able to go toe-to-toe with the Tigers, even driving for the game-tying touchdown with less than two minutes remaining, uh, was because they, were, they put together a good scheme. And Gerard Evans, you know, he was a first-year starter for Virginia Tech. Josh Jackson, only a redshirt freshman you know, with a ceiling that you could argue is maybe even higher than Gerard Evans. And Evans set a bunch of school offensive records last year. I think that the the key here is going to be keeping it quick, uh, keeping the Clemson defense off balance so they're not able to bring that extra pressure. Justin Fuente, the quarterback whisperers, like James Ward likes to call him. <laughs> he's, I mean, I just think he's a bright offensive mind. I just, you know, this this goes back to TCU. It's it's Memphis. Uh, it's what he's shown at Virginia Tech. He's he's just he's sharp. You know, he's he's really really good. Uh, and it, I think that it's just. Uh, it's a really, it's a very encouraging development for Virginia Tech fans that in the last couple years of the Frank Beamer tenure, we're very frustrated uh, with the offensive consistency or lack thereof. Does the Clemson winning streak stay intact after tonight? I think so. I think that Clemson ends up winning this game. Um, I don't. I think that uh, if they don't, I'm not going to be shocked. You know, that's 
that one of the picks that you have, I think, is that if you're going to look at the Clemson schedule and you're going to assume that there's one spot where they may lose, you know, this is one of those one or two spots where uh, that loss might happen. And it won't change uh, too much as long as Clemson takes care of business from there on out and is in the ACC championship game. But I think it could be just as tough uh, when we see these teams, regardless of result, maybe meet again in Charlotte in December for the ACC championship. Wake Forest, 4-0 for the second straight year. It's obviously going to get a bit tougher right now. This is the fourth rebuilding job for Dave Clawson as they go up against the Seminoles today. How far can they go? Well, the schedule gets a lot tougher even beyond uh, Florida State. You know, they come back They come back at the end of this, like, four- or five-game stretch where I don't think they're going to be favored in a single game. And then at the end of the year are a couple more winnable games. So with a 4-0 start, you've got a Wake team that even getting to a bowl last year was a big breakthrough. And by starting 4-0, you've given yourself the best opportunity if you can get through this grind and come out healthy that you can win those last couple games and be able to get back to the postseason. I, you know, this is going to be really, really key for Wake Forest to, to play some sound run defense because, to me, this is a game where if James Blackman is out there throwing, slinging the ball around, he could, create, he could throw some turnovers. Like he, could, he could make Florida State have to really sweat this game, but Florida State, because of just a, an athleticism and a size differential, if they get the, the ground game going with Jacquez Patrick and Cam Akers, that might be enough to, to win this game. And so I think that Dave Clawson has been telling his staff, you know, we've got to be really, really sound. We've got to tell our guys, regardless of their heights and weights, they need to be in the right place at the right time. And if we play sound and if we make James Blackman drop back there and start throwing the ball around the yard, then we might have a chance to cause some turnovers and maybe pull off an upset. We take a closer look inside the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can always follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson, as well as check out his podcast, the 24-7 College Football Podcast. Washington State flies under the radar, Chip, because it's in Pullman. Mike Leach is its coach, but no more. How much did last night's win garner respect? Uh, it garnered a lot of respect. It also is sort of put them in a position where if you circled that as a loss, then you know, it changes the math a little bit. You get a win here. Now you're starting to march towards the situation where the Apple Cup against Washington at the end of the year might be for the Pac-12 North. And not only that, but if Washington State can continue with this strong play, especially getting it done in close games, you know, getting it done with your defense, having Jamal Morrow come up with uh, – he had the game-winning touchdown against Boise State earlier this year. He had the, uh, I think, the go-ahead score last night. Like I think that this is a Washington State team that, with the win, makes the Apple Cup a potential Pac-12 championship game, playoff game. But they could also potentially be in the college football playoff mix at the end of the season going into the Apple Cup as well. So it'll be very interesting to watch Washington State moving forward. I think if you're USC, uh, this was just a, a really, really nervous spot and now you're just hoping that with no bye weeks, you're going to be able to hold on to the ship and uh, make it through without suffering too many more, uh, too many more close calls or even losses. Because at this point, I think USC 
uh, is starting to look a little bit less like the national title favorite that a lot of people thought going in. There is a lot of time for them to bounce back, but without that bye week, as you mentioned, I mean, it seems as if they're treading water already. Uh, it, it almost seems like they're gassed already. I mean, how much of a mental toll has that schedule played on them? And we're not even out of September. I we we don't know the toll that it's been it's had yet. This is just some bad injury luck, in my opinion. And, uh, and they've been playing with fire, you know, from the Western Michigan game. And they dominated Stanford. But with everything we've seen about Stanford since then, how impressive is that? Uh, this is, you know, the Texas game. USC can be really, really fun. Um, but as long as Sam Darnold's turning the ball over and as long as that defense continues to, continues to take key losses like Porter Gustin, you know, this is, a, this is a USC team that, as talented as it might be, this just might not be the year, and that's okay. I mean, I, I think they'll probably still finish with, you know, nine or ten wins, but uh, they had a very, very small margin for error coming into the year because of the schedule, and already the extraneous factors have all seemed to be going against the Trojans. You know, back to Washington State, is the biggest difference in this team this year their defense? Yeah, I think so, and I think that's been over the last three years. Uh, Alex Grinch got hired. This is his third year as defensive coordinator, Every year the defense has taken a step forward statistically. And uh, to have them showing up, going up against Sam Darnold in the USC offense and winning the game with defense, I think was a tremendous statement. Taking a closer look inside the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Also follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. You know, last week's win for Cal, or last week's loss, I should say, or at least effort for Cal, now with, with the USC loss last night, takes a little bit of a hit. But how much was it validation? I mean, they've made terrific strides in a short time. And how far away can they be from being a team that could be reckoned with in the Pac-12? I think that we've just got to take them seriously. I mean, there were a lot of people that were ready to just pin Cal into the Pac-12 North basement and just assume that it was going to take a while for Justin Wilcox to get them out of there. And I think that you just have to understand that they are not that team. You know, they they might be a team that's in the middle or in the thick of it. They're certainly not Pac-12 North contenders, but they're not going to be the doormat. You know, in that USC game, if it's not for some – you know, four interceptions, they might win that game. I, every single time that Cal goes out there, uh, they are going to be in a position potentially to win. And I, I think that that in itself is a huge step forward from what a lot of people thought. And when you look across uh, the entire college football landscape at coach, first-year coaches, first-year head coaches, not just first uh, time at that place, but the first time being a head coach, you got to think that Justin Wilcox has had one of the more impressive debuts we've seen. Absolutely, no question. Who does Stanford go with at quarterback now? I, I don't. Whoever throws the less picks, whoever's <laughs> healthier. I don't know. It's the the, Stan, the Stanford quarterback situation seems to be frustrating everybody, including David Shaw. Um, you know, they they're really relying on the big plays right now. And thankfully, because they recruit so well, they've got the athletes and they've got the scheme to be able to spring those big plays. But this is a uh, this is this is a very interesting Stanford team and a, a team that I think will be much better uh, once they work the kinks out. But even in that you know shootout win against UCLA, uh, they're they're still things are still a little they're flying a little loose right now, and that is not what we're used to seeing out of Stanford. Talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. 
Uh, you know, Colorado's defense took a hit last week. Was it a bad matchup, or that Colorado defense dropped off a bit this year with Jim Levitt now gone? Jim Levitt, but also like eight senior starters. They were perfect last year. Everything was peaking at the right time. Um, you know, having all that experience, guys that had played together. So there's there what we saw was that uh, Colorado team that we now have higher expectations for has taken a step back. But the good news is, I think from uh, the way they played against Colorado State and, you know, the way that we've been able to, the little amount of data that we've gotten has suggested that it's not like they're falling off the cliff and going right back down to the bottom of the Pac-12. Uh, it's still a team that you got to worry about. Steven Montez is a great quarterback. Philip Lindsay is a solid running back. Uh, they're going to be pretty good on defense. But uh, you cannot expect them to to throw the haymakers uh, with someone like Washington, especially a Washington team that got a good look at them last year and was successful. Should the takeaway from the UCLA opening victory of the year not be the great comeback now, but shift to the Bruins' poorest defense? I mean, that's just just the way that, and it's not. I don't think it's the the Bruins' poor defense. I just think that you know they are seem willing to ride or die with. Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen uh, throws some pretty touchdown balls and some head scratching interceptions. And there's a there is a wide variance in the results. There's all the talent in the world that's always been there can be on display, but there there are times where it almost seems. And you know, I don't want to. Josh Rosen is a very honest and outspoken person, and I, I haven't heard him say this, but uh, as someone who studies college football, it seems like. He's really trying to get out there and win it, you know, all on himself. And that, I think that that makes UCLA a team that can be very dangerous because he's very good. But it also makes UCLA a team that uh, you you got to understand that he's not going to be able to get it done all on his own. And that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of cavalier attitude probably is in, encouraging if you're looking at Josh Rosen as a prospect. But when you're trying to judge UCLA, then – it, it makes them a little bit less threatening. Uh, I think that they're pretty good. They can score a bunch of points, but they don't seem to be totally committed to having uh, the balance. And sometimes it's because of that bad defense that they have to come out and throw the ball all around the yard. But I, Josh Rosen's great. UCLA games are a lot of fun, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not a UCLA fan having to sweat through all this. That's well, the Pac-12 after dark tonight, UCLA, Colorado. Miles Gaskin against a struggling, and that's putting it mildly, Oregon State defense. How ugly does this one get tonight? Bad. Uh, backups on the field, and maybe this start of the third quarter. It's like that's it, – with, with Miles Gaskin, he had a slow start of the season. Hadn't really been able to catch his rhythm. Some of that was on the Washington offensive line. Looks like they hadn't really uh, gotten in sync quite yet, but man, everything clicked against Colorado. And suddenly, like when they get Gaskin going, it makes life easier on Jake Browning. And Jake Browning still got great weapons at the wide receiver position. So I, I think that this is this is a game where Washington probably comes out, takes care of business early, and then gets its starters some rest in the second half. We take a closer look inside the SEC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Also check out his 24-7 Sports College Football podcast. Has the SEC become a two-team race with Georgia and Alabama destined to meet in Atlanta? I'm not going to give up on Auburn. I thought that with the Missouri game, it wasn't beating Missouri that encouraged me. 
It was uh, the reemergence of Carryon Johnson, now healthy and now able to provide a little bit of balance to that offensive backfield. Uh, it can't just be Petway as your as your as your battering ram running it between the tackles. Carryon Johnson is able to help them attack the perimeter. They got Cam Martin, the very talented sophomore, involved. Uh, I just keep thinking that the most successful offenses. Uh, sometimes with that scheme really does involve when you have multiple threats. And sometimes the quarterback is that other threat. But Jarrett Stidham, he can move with his legs, but not quite, in my opinion, uh, the running quarterback that a Nick Marshall or a Cam Newton was. Um, but, you know, he can still burn you for a first down run. But I, I just think you, when you have a lot to make the defense think, you're able to put all those backs in there that do different things, that's one of the ways that you get things rolling. I think Auburn was really missing that when they were just running Petway. And so I, I'm not going to give up on the Auburn Tigers as a potential contender. But, you know, great test against Mississippi State. Uh, big change in competition from Missouri. If they're still able to show how a now healthy and loaded up backfield is able to make this offense hum, uh, then I'll start to be impressed. But, you know, you look around elsewhere, pretty much Alabama and Georgia. For Mississippi State, uh, tonight against Auburn is the final game of the trifecta that uh, the Bulldogs had. Which of the Bulldogs, the last two games, is more indicative of who they are, the big win over LSU or the loss to Georgia? Big win over LSU. Because the big win over LSU uh, still like probably might have had a bigger score than the actual difference in the teams. I think that... Uh, LSU, LSU's performance in the second half of that game was really concerning. And it was concerning because they just, it looked like the fight had kind of left the sideline. Um, I, and then Mississippi State was able to run the score up. But we think about what Nick Fitzgerald was even able to do last year. He was able to move the ball, score a lot of points. The fact that Georgia was able to totally squeeze out and shut down that offensive attack, I, I think is a credit to the Georgia defensive front. And that's where I'm starting to say that Mississippi State's probably closer to their LSU win because there are not going to be many times this season. And we might not see again, even against the likes of an Alabama, we might not see uh, Mississippi State held in the single digits again. How much is on the line for Butch Jones today? Huge. Um, I mean, the the problem is I don't know if uh, – I don't know if a win or even a close loss really changes that much, but a bad loss would just accelerate it. I mean, it's, it is throwing up all of the warning signs uh, for me when I look at a press conference where a head coach says the negativity of the media is impacting our ability to coach and play, and essentially, by his tone and phrasing, sounds like he's asking for the media to tone down on the negativity and I think that when you hear a head coach acknowledge that at all and then even try to influence uh, the reporting and the narrative around your football program, uh, he goes on the radio and he's trying to defend his own legacy. I guess this is, uh, this is a bad look. You know, this is something that it can turn toxic really, really quick. And Tennessee's beaten Georgia the last two years. Georgia is so much better. 
It is a cir- it's either a circle the wagons or start packing the boxes kind of game in Knoxville. Speaking of toxic, as we talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, there was that atmosphere surrounding Texas A&M after the season opening loss to UCLA. But very quietly, the Aggies have bounced back, and they have one of the most exciting players in the conference in Christian Kirk. I mean, it's it's amazing how things have changed for this team, and uh, somebody I think is owed an apology too. I I think that the uh... I think the Texas A&M's always had the ability to to win these games. Um, you know, there's there's still a long SEC season left. Things oh, absolutely, you're right. Things things could have turned south for sure, but um, I I think that Kevin Sumlin being able to to keep his guys locked in. Like I, I think about not only Christian Kirk but leaders on this team like Armani Watts, Zaycoven Henderson, uh, players who are highly recruited from a couple cycles ago who are now more mature, you know, two-year, three-year starters, vets on this team. Um, you know, he's got those guys locked in, and those guys are able to to lead the way. So, you know, the rest of it comes to get – Travion Williams has always been a fantastic running back. And that- um, you know, Kellen Mond gets better with every single live snap. Christian Kirk, as you mentioned, is one of the best uh, athletic talents in the country. I think that this is a, this is a credit, certainly, to, to Kevin Sumlin, but – uh, as it pertains to, you know, the the dogs out there, they are they are relentless, and there's still a long SEC West schedule. He's he's been great at winning eight games. He's got to get up there and win nine and ten again uh, before I think that the criticism is going to quiet down. Well, it's going to be a tough month of October for him. There's no question about that. Starting with Alabama next week, Florida, Mississippi State, and Auburn all in a row. That is not going to be easy. Alabama and Ole Miss, no Hugh Freeze this time around. Has the hex on the Crimson Tide been lifted? I don't know. I think that uh, the what what Ole Miss has been able to do against Alabama in the last couple of years has been what Nick Saban has used for motivation for his team to prepare for this game because it's easy to look at a team ineligible for the postseason with an interim coach and overlook them, and I think that that is where Nick Saban – uh, is really trying to avoid a trap here. Uh, the the really interesting thing is going to be uh, Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, came from Sam Houston State. Uh, Sam Houston State broke all kinds of records and, on offense, and he's got someone in Shea Patterson who will not quit. So I think Alabama is able to totally win this game. I think Alabama will be able to score a touchdown every single time they get the ball because Ole Miss's defense has been horrendous. But – Shea Patterson, good Ole Miss wide receivers, put me down for saying that Ole Miss might never be in a position to win this game, but they're going to keep fighting, and they're going to keep trying to throw for touchdowns right until the clock hits zeros at the end of the fourth quarter. You know, last week, Chip, I asked you, as we talked with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, I asked how far was the gap between Alabama and the rest of the conference, but after seeing what they did to Vanderbilt and their freshmen and younger players have such big games last week, how far is the talent level between the, uh, the Crimson Tide and the rest of the SEC? How about the rest of the country? I mean, we, we huh. saw the 2017 uh, college football playoff title contenders in the first half, and then the 2018 and 2019 college football playoff contenders uh, in the second half. I mean, it's, they're playing a different game. They, they are playing a different game. When it was uh, Najee Harris in the backfield, Tua Tagovailoa under center, throwing a touchdown pass to Jerry Judy, all true freshmen, all early enrolees, like they're just—it's a different game. 
a different game in Tuscaloosa. Should Jake Fromm be the starter when Jacob Eason is healthy again for Georgia? I don't think that that's my call. I kind of hate that that's been a, a storyline for uh, the pundits to, to come in and uh, and try and declare who should be the starting quarterback. Kirby Smart notoriously doesn't offer anything to the media. He has really limited media access uh, to the practice. You know, they get to see almost nothing now. And I just, I, I think that the only people that should know or have a, have a role in that decision are, you know, Jim Chaney, uh, the, the offensive coaching staff, and just sort of the, the people who are going to be able to see how those two players interact with each other, how they're competing in practice. Jake Fromm has been fantastic. He plays with confidence. He's a gamer, uh, but they, you know, they're not putting a lot on his plate. He only throws the ball about 12, 13 times per game. So it, I think he's been fantastic. If they decide to ride with Fromm, I would not be surprised. Uh, but I also heard reports that Eason looked fantastic in fall camp and, you know, maybe there's a chance to open up the offense. So I'm, I, I tend to think that that'll be up on the coaching staff. It'll be an important decision, one that could totally change uh, whether this team is a you know, national title contender or just an SEC championship contender. But I, I don't think that that's our decision to make. Finally, was this latest loss for Kentucky to Florida the one that hurts the most? No doubt, 100%. This one's so bad. To, to leave a wide receiver uncovered for two pivotal touchdowns that end up losing you the game, um, that, was, that was horrendous. I don't, I just, I, right now, you got to hope that if you're Kentucky, you don't make that loss just sort of lead into to other losses or damage what was some surge in confidence because um, that was so bad. It's one, it's one of the most painful ways I've seen a college football team lose this year.